What's your favorite hobby? Sports, cooking, car racing, gardening, something else? There's a country that is fashionable for the deceased to be interned in a coffin that reflects their favorite interest. Who says you can't take it with you? We are exploring the first West African country to claim independence from colonialism and its plethora of spellbinding rituals. Full of booming agriculture, Ghana is a hot spot for delicious food and unique experiences that can only be experienced by visiting this beautiful country. We will discuss the history and unique traditions that make Ghanaian people so captivating today on Dying to Eat. I'm Scott Parrish and you're listening to Dying to Eat. Each episode will be focusing on a different country or culture. We will explore the relationship between food and death around the world. We have a shout out for Judy Henson of Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. Thanks Judy for supporting the podcast. Listeners like you make it possible for us to continue. If you're like Judy and like food, culture, and fun stories, then I've got a great show in store for you. Also remember our sponsor, Swampy Supply, for your unique outdoor t-shirts at swampysupply.com. And make sure you stick around to the end to see what's cooking this week. Ghana is a beautifully diverse country located in Western Africa. The country plays host to a passionate culture full of unique rituals, incredibly delicious food, and a rich history. Ghana is one of the first Western African countries to break away from the colonial rule and is now one of the leading African countries. The very first inhabitants can be traced back to 10,000 BC, but the early history of Ghana is a bit more blurred as the people were simply fishermen. Not much left for historians to ponder over from the before the 15th century. The British rule began in 1471 when the Portuguese landed in what's now known as the Gold Coast to trade European exports for gold. In the 17th century, the Portuguese influence became spoiled and gave way to countries like the Netherlands, England, Denmark, Sweden, and Persia to infiltrate the country for trading purposes. The Gold Coast was a hot commodity for the Western world and provided immense wealth to participating countries. It wasn't long before this relationship turned into a booming slave trade. The slave trade was brought on mostly by the developing American plantations. You can learn more about that in our episode, Louisiana. Anyway, Guyana was under European rule for much of the 17th and 18th century and was only given its independence in 1957. The modern Ghana stems from the cultural created from British and Muslim influence brought on by trading of goods. The country is divided into three regions, North Savannah, Coastal, and Forest. The coast is known for its rich city life and sandy beaches. In central Ghana, there is a forest region that's home to a rich agricultural land. The cacao plant, which is considered to be the Ghanan cash crop, is grown in the forest region. Cacao, or coca as most people call it, is cultivated in Ghana and according to legend, fostered by a blacksmith called Tita Korshi in 1895, who returned to his farm and 
east, in the eastern region of Ghana with coca beans in his pocket from the island of Equatorial Guinea, where there was already an intense plantation production of, let's uh, put it in quotes, slave-grown coca. I know, a Jack and the Beanstalk reference would fit perfectly here. So, how did Jack know how many beans old Bessie was worth? He used a calculator. <laughs> I love dad jokes. So, the northern savannah region makes up two-thirds of the country's geographical area and is considered to be the most volatile area in the country. The land is arid with low low <laughs> The land is arid with low precipitation. Thank you for helping me get around that, making it difficult for farm crops or animals. This region is considered to be the middle belt of the country and combines the good and the ugly of Ghana. The northern part is a great part for farming yams and livestock, but the southern part is dry and unable to grow just about anything. You should know Ghana is considered to be an African role model for political reform. After the country's independence in 1957, the government became corrupt and continued to enact failed European policies. Kwame Ukuruma was the first president of Ghana and he wanted to inspire other countries in Africa to free themselves from colonial rule. However, he made a series of destructive decisions that ended in his overthrow and thus began years of military rule. By 1992, there had been several governmental overthrows that eventually ended up in a democratic system being developed. In 1992, that was the year that marked democracy for the country. Now, in 2021, Akufo-Addo, a new patriotic party candidate, which is a liberal conservative, liberal slash conservative political party, uh, he's the president and will serve as president until 2024. Due to the major Muslim gold trading and European slave trade, the Ghanaian people can be considered to be one big inclusive group of African people. There is believed to be uh, probably about 75 different languages spoken, but only 10 are discernible and frequently used. Since Ghana is a melting pot of different Af African cultures, English was made the official language after the independence to reduce ethnic differences. Many subgroups of cultures exist, but the sizable ones are the Akan, the Mole Dagbani, Yu Ga, Adig Name, and Gurama. Now, I think I said all those correctly, so just say a little prayer for me there. And if you want to correct me, you know, send me a message. I'm always up for it. So these groups, they, exi they exist peacefully with each other and have had minimal clashes since the uh, independence in 1957. It may be surprising to learn that indigenous religions are still practiced and have a lively presence for the people. Christianity is practiced by the majority of the demographic, but there are still areas that have preserved their ancient culture. Do you believe in magic? If not, there are large groups of Ghanaian people who do. 
They believe in the traditional African deviation practices and some even put Christianity into the mix as well. The northern savanna region, contacting ancestors who have passed is an important part of making decisions for those guys. The deviation includes the diviner and the client. The diviner is a trusted magician who consults with the client's ancestors to determine the cause of the client's current affliction. I can tell you, some of the elder people in my family were really good about telling me what I was doing wrong. So it wouldn't surprise me for them to come back and tell me again. Anyway, deviation is typically only used when something unwanted befalls a person or a family. As you can see, the religion and the culture of Ghana is vast and has many moving parts to consider. The homogenous part of their culture is the cuisine. Every gathering, every celebration or festival has an abundance of food at the ready. There's an old Ghana saying that goes something like, Sharing a meal together, eating out of one pot together, means you are all equal. The basis of many meals are yams. For those of you guys that don't know, that's sweet potatoes. Definitely here in the South. Uh, and rye bread. Potatoes grow in abundance in Ghana, and rye bread was brought by the Scandinavians in the 15th century. Traditional meals have been a staple for centuries due to their nutritious ingredients and easiness to conjure up. The jollof rice, that is, uh, it's white rice that's stirred in with a tomato sauce and served with chicken or fish. The rice soaks up the succulent tomato sauce and makes it a simple but really tasty dish. There's fufu, which is a staple for the Ghanan people. And I gotta tell you, this is not my first take. I have to laugh about fufu. Uh, there's this episode in Futurama that it brings straight to mind. Uh, any of you guys out there that love that cartoon as much as me, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, fufu requires this boiled cassava. It's an African vegetable, and of course plantains can be pounded together to, and combined all together, it makes this doughy mixture. Fufu is then combined with a soup of whatever you like to eat. Ask any Ghana native, it, it, it's, it's really amazing. Stay tuned later in the show and I'll give you my own take of a traditional Ghanan meal. Before we move on, let me take a minute and tell you about our new sponsor, Tailored Hemp. There are times when buying a quality product is really important. Tailored Hemp is third-party verified CBD. Legal in every state because using CBD is about the relieving qualities of hemp without the effects of THC. Natural, certified, Produced in the U.S., Tailored Hemp is where you should go. If you're like me, a non-smoker, they also have lots of choices of edibles. Order online today at tailoredhemp.com. Now that we've discussed the history of Ghana, let's dive into the history of Ghanan women and their past and current struggles. Dowry, I'm sure you've heard of it. It's an outdated concept in the United States, but it lives alive and as well in many Eastern world countries, specifically Ghana. However, in Ghana, it's referred to as the bride price. Sounds a bit worse, doesn't it? Before a man can marry a woman, he must pay the bride's family an agreed upon amount before the marriage is able to occur. 
the 20th century brought in the idea of currency as a form of payment because it was a Western world principle that had only been introduced into that country in 1867. The groom's family would have to supply cattle, food, or any other demands of the bride's family. Even today, you'll find that the bride price is a couple of iPads or a flat screen TV. The bride's family will usually provide a list to the groom for him to choose what he's able to uh, pay for his new mate. Negotiations of the bride price are taken very seriously and are usually fully funded solely by the groom himself. The wife is owned by the husband, and since the husband pays for their wife's hand in marriage, the family is indebted to him. If the wife is mistreated during their marriage, the families feel like they can't even intervene. I can tell you, that stuff just wouldn't swim where I come from, but I get what they're saying. On top of being bought by their groom, women are not able to choose their own spouse either. And if the head of the family says they have to marry a specific family, that's just what the women have to do. Lineage is a very important concept for Ghanan people, and it must be held up no matter what, no matter the consequences. Essentially, a man paying the bride price to marry a woman means he owns her in all aspects. This obviously means that if a woman is unhappy in her marriage, divorce isn't an option for her to initiate. Divorce is legal in Ghana, but women do not usually initiate the process as they feel they have no right since they were purchased. A divorce, if it's initiated, the women will most likely not have any marital property as they are usually financially dependent on their husband. One positive of the divorce process in Ghana is that women automatically receive rights to their children unless they are proved to be incapable of providing the care. Women's rights groups have been trying to end the bride price concept for years, but it seems to be a never-ending affliction for the women of that culture. Inheritance laws determine where a woman resides and what she's entitled to. This law also affects men, but just not to the same degree. According to the 1971 Ghana Inheritance Law, which has been a little updated since then, says that women are able to receive the same privileges as men in rights to marriage, custody of children, ownership of property, education, trading, and the everyday activities of the local community. However, the problem with the inheritance law resides when a woman's husband dies. If the marriage is in good standing, with no question, the widowed wife will receive two-thirds of the inheritance and the husband's family will receive the remaining one-third. If the marriage is not in good standing, the family will receive two-thirds and the widowed wife only receives one-third. Family is important in Ghana and the husband's family lays right to receiving his property as well. To give you an example of how deep familial inheritance laws run, the in-state secession law of 1985 states that fathers cannot give their sons any owned property because it must be given to their sister's sons or any male on their maternal side. These inheritance laws are also subject to the type of society a person belongs to, whether the society is patrilineal, patrilineal or matrilineal.
in Ghana, you're not allowed to give your property to just anyone. It has to be someone in your family line. In either type of society, men mostly hold the rights of land ownership. For matrilineal societies, women are able to delve out land as long as they are in good standing with the men in the family. Ghanaian women are more likely to live in poverty compared to their male equivalents. Women tend to work low-paying jobs while men hold stable jobs that pay above the average. Land ownership is dominated by males. They hold 3.2 times more land than women. Women, if they own land, tend to manage small farms that do not produce well-paying income for what they have to live on. Women are paid 57% of the income that men are paid. While women are given the same rights to work as men, it's been proven that men still continue to be paid more for the same type of work. The wage gap has improved, but man, it's got a long way to go. Women's suffrage in Ghana came to a head in 1955 when voting rights were given to women. These voting rights were considered to be equal to men's voting rights. The legislation specifically stated that every person, whether male or female, shall be entitled to be registered as an elector for the municipal electoral district, essentially granting women their right to vote. The women of Ghana have used this newfound right to their advantage ever since. Recently, in December of 2020, now think about that, that's not very long ago, women took the, to the streets in protest of the recent election. While the protest did not get their candidate in office, the protest was respected and not met with any governmental force. They were given the right to speak their belief. The rights of women and men in Ghana are equal on paper. However, there are so many stories of the same women given equal rights, struggling to provide for themselves and their family, and coming up short. Women are expected to pay two years in advance if they rent an apartment in Ghana. Two years, come on. The economy is split into two sections, the formal and the informal. The formal economy is the private sector dominated by men. The informal sector is dominated by women at about 80%. The informal sector jobs consist of retail, caretakers, market traders, and agricultural jobs. To put it simply, these jobs are the reason why families get food put on their table. Women are quite literally the engines behind the economy. Taking care of the uh, less than positions that men do not want. You know, women of Ghana have provided for this country and, and they continue to do so. Ghana would not be what it is today without their contributions. So let's talk about something a little bit cheerier. How about burial rituals? The dead are held in very high reverence and are remembered in fantastical ways. Each cultural group in Ghana has had their own rituals for remembering the dead, but they are, they're not all the same in the way that they honor and gather for the dead. Funerals are considered a literal celebration of life and can take weeks to months to properly plan. Many families designate a chief mourner. He's kind of like the head of negotiations and planning. So even choosing a chief mourner can take several weeks. The body of the deceased is placed into a freezer to preserve. The time spent in the freezer could last a few weeks, a couple of months, or even a year. 
Families that are unable to pay for the lavish funeral up front will make a decision to preserve their deceased family members until they are able to afford a proper burial. Ceremonies like this are carefully scheduled to meet all of the attendees' schedules. You would be astonished at the amount of planning that goes into picking a date, a start time, a venue, catering, decorations, entertainment, all of that stuff. All for a funeral. Ghanaian funerals are truly a phenomenon, and I'm sure by the time it all comes together, they're all dying to eat. See what I did there? Hmm. Often, hundreds, sometimes thousands of mourners will attend a funeral. Families will put up billboards to advertise the funeral. If you ever attend a Ghanaian funeral, you may even see dancing pallbearers. You might even feel like you're attending a party. But in a sense, a Ghanaian funeral is like a party. It's a celebration of life, like I said earlier. One of the most well-known parts of these funerals are the fantasy coffins. Coffins are carefully crafted by artisans to reflect the deceased personality. It could be their profession, their trade, or their hobby that they really enjoyed. If someone dies and they were an avid cat person, their family members would pay to have a cat-shaped coffin made for their burial. Or a businessman may get a Mercedes coffin if that was his car, you know? The original fantasy coffin dated back to the Ga people. Those are people that are from the area of Ghana and Togo. Traditionally, the ancient African rituals would include a palaquin, which was a platform that was used to carry the deceased chiefs to their burial sites. These platforms would be this fantastical shapes like exotic animals and birds. Imagine, you're waiting in a crowd of people and you see this exquisitely made red snapper fish coffin for your uncle who is just this great fisherman. This red snapper drifts gracefully through the crowd as a pallbearers dance, the traditional tribal dance of your culture. It would be absolutely incredible to witness. Do yourself a favor and look up Ghana dancing pallbearers. Just see for yourself. Understanding funeral etiquette is vital in paying respects to the dead. Close friends and family should wear black and white to symbolize their relation to the deceased. Women are allowed to wear a koba, which is it's like a type of a blazer that is beautifully detailed with tribal art. Family members will wear red to convey danger and black to symbolize their grief. Attendees are also expected to bring a donation to the funeral to help with the family. Man, it's expensive to host a Ghanaian funeral. I, I get that. They need all the help they can get. If you're attending one of these funerals, be sure to ask the host what should be brought, whether it should be money or a card or some flowers. Kind words and sympathy always are welcome, but attendees should align their sympathies with a family's particular religion. Remember, Ghana has a host of different religions. Some are Christian, some are Islamic, or Catholic, or a mix of all of them. Oh, there's a conversation, Catholic and Christian. I digress right now. The point is, all of them can be mixed with traditional African beliefs. Since Ghana is so diverse, each cultural group has its own way of celebrating the dead. There's a lot to tell you. So, like the chubby guy said when he saw the pool full of jello, let's just dive in. The Shawnee tribe, being the largest in the country, allows for the entire community to take part in the funeral festivities. 
Relatives play a role in washing the body of the deceased and preparing them for burial. After the burial, everyone attends the ceremony to celebrate the passing from the human realm to the okra. The okra is the ancestral word of the Ashani people. When someone from the Ashani tribe passes, they move from the okra and become a protective spirit for their community. Chiefs will attend the funeral and sit underneath this brilliantly colored umbrella and they're just there to observe the festivities. Dancing plays a huge role. Everyone dances after the burial. Family members alone wear red and black traditional outfits and wear hats with ladders, symbolizing the okra, peppers, symbolizing the seriousness, and eggshells, symbolizing grief. The Fonte tribe is also part of the Akan people, and it's the matrilineal society. It means that only family members on the maternal side of the deceased are considered the immediate family. Members of the family on the maternal side will handle the funeral celebrations and pay for everything. The bigger and more luxurious the funeral, the more respected the person was in their community. Ghanan funerals are not just held in Ghana. Many natives have moved here to the United States. All rituals are still honored, but are altered to fit the U.S. lifestyle. The African tradition is to hold the burial on Saturdays in the U.S., and Ghanans hold their burials on Saturdays as well as rest of the festivities. Funerals in Ghana last about a week at the minimum, but funerals in the United States are held in a normally a 24-hour period. The reasoning behind this is that most work during the week, and since the tradition is to have everyone attend, the funeral celebrations, well, they've got to adapt. Traditionally, Ghanan funerals begin in the evening, so American Ghanan people usually schedule their celebrations to begin ah, about 10 o'clock at night. Attendees normally really don't leave until about 5 a.m. the next day. You could consider these funerals as festivals for the dead. If you have ever get a chance to attend one, please tell me about it on our Instagram page. It is a once-in-a-lifetime experience for those outside the Ghanan culture. Now that we've learned about the Ghanans and the Ghanans, now that we've learned about Ghana and its people, let's talk about what they eat. As stated earlier, they're known for their nutritious and delicious cuisine. As usual, I'm presenting you with a traditional recipe that can be made by cooks of all levels with a little bit of my own flair. This Ghanan meal is called Red Red Vegan Stew. It's a delectable blend of beans and spices and it's quite easy to make. I'll go through the ingredients and then go through the detail on how to make it. You'll need four 16 ounce cans of black eyed peas, one medium onion chopped, four Roma tomatoes diced, three minced garlic cloves, a thumb size ginger root minced, two inch jalapeno with the seeds removed and diced, two tablespoons of avocado oil, one tablespoon of smoked paprika, half a teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of black pepper, one teaspoon of cumin, and a box of 24, uh, 24 ounce box of vegetable stock. To begin, we're gonna heat two tablespoons of avocado oil in a stock pot over medium heat. Once the oil is hot, saute the garlic and the ginger and the jalapeno and the onion until it's soft which will probably take you about five minutes. 
Deglaze the pot with a little bit of the vegetable broth to, to uh, prevent any sticking. Add the black eyed peas and stir it well. Next, add your cumin, salt, pepper, and paprika. Pour in the Roma tomatoes and turn the heat on high. Incorporate your vegetable stock slowly, adding it just a little bit at a time. Now, if you want it a little bit soupier, then add 12 more ounces of vegetable stock and you'll have that more liquidy stew. The high heat should bring the stew to a boil and once it begins to boil, turn the heat down to simmer for about 30 minutes. Stir your stew occasionally to prevent sticking and burning. You can serve with a bed of rice to simulate the Ghana experience, but I personally like Cuban or Italian bread with mine. I've been your host Scott Parrish and I'd like to thank you for listening to Dying to Eat, especially Delaware. I have no idea who's out there listening to us, but we have a large, faithful group of listeners in Delaware. Actually, more than any other state. This show is made possible by listeners like you, and I really appreciate your support. If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more, look out for new episodes every week on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to drop us a like and follow the show on Instagram or Facebook to stay up to date on your latest episodes. And until next time, stay lively.